the Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And let's go. The Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho. It's Duff McKagan calling you from uh, sunny uh, Charlotte, uh, South Carolina. Well, I'm actually in New York, South Carolina. Uh, and I, I want to tell you this, this turtle got mugged by a couple snails. And, uh, uh, you know, the police came and the, and the, and the turtle's pretty rattled and uh, shaken up. It's just been mugged. And uh, the police said, so, uh, you know, can you describe the guy? So, I mean, what what happened? And the internal said, well, all I can say is, it's just, I don't know. It happened so fast. Thank you very much. Bye. Oh, man. Did you get that one? It took me, I had to kind of Google it to have it explained. Because turtles are slow and snails are slow. It happened so fast. Okay, that's a groaner at best. A minimal pop for that one. But give it up. A huge pop for Duff McKagan for calling every single Friday and delivering the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Uh, although Duff might want to ask Alexa for a little help next week because yeah, that one was pretty lame. But anyways, that's the last of the live Talk is Jericho uh, podcast recorded on Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. Uh, you heard Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. You heard uh, the Elite. You heard uh, uh, Eddie Guerrero Tribute Show. And this is now the last one we recorded on the ship. Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler, the greatest announced team, one of the greatest announced team uh, teams in WWE history. We had a great conversation, amazing stories from Jim, amazing stories from Jerry. Uh, here it is, live from Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. And we've got some huge news uh, for you next week about the Rager Part Two. But here we go, Jerry the King Lawler and Jim Ross, right here on Talk Is Jericho. Let me introduce to you Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler. Here they are. Chrissy, thanks for coming on. Ross, thank you. You did it, Chrissy. Hello, my friend. How are you? <laughs> Jerry, I'm JR. He's Jerry. So one of the things that uh, when I first started thinking this crazy idea, I think the first guy that I might have booked for the cruise, quote unquote, might have been Jim Ross right here. Yeah, might have been. Number one draft pick, blue chipper. A little slow 40 time, but a hell of a nice guy. <laughs> and then Jerry Lawler as well. He said, can I come on your cruise? I was like, what? Can you come on the cruise, please? I'll call it the King Cruise if you come on. There you go. There we go. Wow, there's a little bit of uh, pyrotechnics going on there. Was it's that funny. intentional right there? I think so. <laughs> Just for you said you wanted pyro for your entrance. Exactly. You got it. It's like my room earlier today. I was telling uh, Jim earlier, last night I went and saw uh, Blizzard of Ozzy here. And I was on stage rocking and I got hit in the head with a guitar. And I had to go get a stitch at the infirmary here. And I brought up the famous Jim Ross quote where he said, Nothing good ever happens after midnight when you've been drinking. And that's pretty much the true story. Over the years, wrestlers have discovered, with the exception of Jerry, who doesn't do any alcohol or any drugs. Sorry. I make up for our team. And I did want to explain, you know, when I had several people actually come up to me today and ask me about the fact that we did the toast uh, to kick off the cruise. Right here. Right here yesterday. And mine was just pure orange juice. K-Fabe! K-Fabe, Jerry! Sorry. Sorry. Hey, listen, if you're blue, this is why why you got the black eye. (laughs) It's also why Jerry's been on top in the business for 40 years, right? (laughs) 
Uh, He's uh, the uh, smartest one out of all of us. Actually, Chris, 47, but who's counting? <laughs> now, you do the math about the women. No, 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 no. <laughs> Here we go, folks. There. So listen, obviously to me, uh, at this point in time, 2018, there's two, for me, the best commentary teams in WWE history. And I'm going to go with, with, with Vince McMahon and, and Jesse Ventura from, from the 80s. Modern day Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler. Amazing chemistry, amazing knowledge of the business, a great, very serious, uh, intricate play-by-play, uh, -play -play, and, 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 and the, uh, the, the, what's you call it, the, the other guy? What is it? Uh, color color guy. The color, the color guy. The analyst. The color, analyst, the color guy with a completely different vibe, still very smart in the business, but very comical as well. Tell us, how did you guys get put together in the first place to do this, uh, to do Raw or whatever it was where you started? You know that answer? Do you remember? <laughs> did, I I, did I start doing Raw before you did? I think you did. I think yeah. I did. Yeah, not much, a little bit. Yeah. Not much, but a little bit, yeah. And uh, I tell the story the way I remember it. It may not be exactly right. Okay. Uh, but the story's going to favor Jerry no matter what he tells you now. <laughs> I'm going to look like shit here in a couple no, of no, moments. No, 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 no. Now, I'm just going to tell you how I got started on there. But you, you said, Chris, that one of your favorites of all time was Vince McMahon and, and Jesse, Jesse Ventura. I got I to gotta agree that, and I'm not saying this to try to kiss up or anything, but Vince McMahon was so underrated as a, as a commentator. I mean, he was, he was really awesome. I love to listen to him. And, and what happened in 1993... Of course, I, Jerry, Jerry, and I own the Memphis territory down there. We, uh, Memphis, Memphis, yeah. Four of them here. Hey, Memphis, all. Oh, oh yeah. God damn it. Nobody from Memphis. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I came up and started working, and I, I had never in my life. I mean, we we came from Memphis, where we had two great. Uh, commentators on our Memphis wrestling show, Lance Russell and Dave Brown. Those guys, I looked up to them. But in all the years that I worked down there, I never even ever once thought about being a commentator. You know, I was like you. I was just, I was a wrestler and uh, had wrestled for over 20 years down in Memphis uh, every, every single night of the week, just about. And then came to WWE, started wrestling, and first put, put with Brett the Hitman Hart, who started working with Bret Hart and different guys. And... Right. Kiss my foot match. Yeah. Kiss my foot match, my favorite. I got to thank Brett. That was that, that was the biggest payday I ever got in. Really? B biggest payday. Uh, the kiss my foot got match got one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Wow. And just as a quick segue, can we? Did Vince tell you what he wanted you to do when you had to kiss the foot? No. Yeah, oh, we he didn't did tell you. Because no. I could just see this, Jerry, it's the smelliest, dirtiest <laughs> appendage ever. Well, you know what? We spent months making my foot appear to be the smelliest, dirtiest foot ever. And, and somehow, I still can't realize today how he did it. Somehow, Brett twisted my own leg and put my own foot in my mouth. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't I, I couldn't do that today if you paid me. But anyway. But he would pay some young lady tonight. Yeah. What? Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anyway, let me get this, uh, finish this story real quick. Get to JR here. But <laughs> I, I forgot. What so I was so say. we were we were right in the middle of the we were right in the middle of the Monday Night Wars, right? And remember when the guys kind of, of were shifting around, going to down to WCW? Well, 
at that time, Vince McMahon was the was the play-by-play guy, and Randy Macho Man Savage was doing the color commentary. And so, one night, I don't remember where we were, but anyway, this is when WCW started going on like an hour before Monday Night Raw. And I'll never forget, Vince was walking around saying, anybody seen Randy? We need, I need to get with him to see what's going to tell him about what we're going to do tonight on the show. And it was like an hour before Raw started, and somebody said, uh, Vince, check out the TV. Turns on the TV, and there's Randy Macho Man Savage. Oh, yeah, he was down in WCW. He <laughs> left, he left wow. without giving any notice or anything. And so the great thing, I'll never forget, Vince completely no-sold it. He just, he just looked. There's Randy Savage, who was supposed to be on his show, and he just said, and I happened to be standing over there. He said, King, can you do color commentary with me tonight? And by next week, I'll have somebody to do it on a regular basis. 23 years later, I was wow. still doing it. So that's, that's, that's how that happened with, wow. with me and Vince. And then not long after that, it became me and, so, so me and JR. So, JR, when you came in to WWE to commentate, was Vince commentating? You were kind of taking over for him? No, Pardon me. I always thought that uh, uh, it was his job, so he got bored with it. And right. I, th- I kind of think he got bored with it because he discovered wh- how much fun Mr. McMahon could be. Because he always wanted to be a wrestling villain. He followed, you know, the, uh, the, the Jerry Graham and all those guys he idolized in the '60s. He loved Jerry Graham. Loved him. He still talks about Jerry Graham and Boba Brazil. Yeah, love those guys. So that was Vince, the old school Vince, and him having the opportunity to be a heel just so happened against the hottest baby face that he had found since Hogan in Austin. Steve Austin, yeah. And it it fit the story perfectly. It was the anti-establishment, take this job and shove it guy, an actual real redneck from South Texas, that who was, he was exactly what he thought he was on television, just toned down a little bit in private life, and Vince was in this element. That allowed for Jerry and I we started out as a three-man team with Vince, some of you might remember. And then, yeah, we did that. Started for, as a three-man team. Jerry, I, I me, and Jerry, and Vince. And then, wow. we, then we went to the, then Mr. McMahon was discovered. So then that put Jerry and I out there by ourselves. And the beauty of that was Vince was so busy playing his, his character, learning his promos and writing things, rewriting things the last minute, answering everybody's concern, and Jericho don't like his finish, and so-and-so didn't like his payoff, and you still gotta go be Mr. McMahon. So he left our ass alone. Those great years that we had so much fun there because whether we were good or bad, that's up to you guys, it was what we felt was the right thing to do. It felt right. It wasn't producer, say this, say that, breathe, cough, fart, burp, nothing. Tell the story. And our job was always to get the talent over. He and his peers, like Jerry, make music. Dudes like me write lyrics. Great music comes first, the lyrics come second. We put it all together, and sometimes we have a hell of a presentation. Wow. That's brilliant. That's really, really cool analogy. You know, you know, one of the things that Jr. mentioned there that I, a lot, hardly anybody realizes this, but Memphis and my territory had a great deal to do with Vince McMahon leaving color comment or leaving commentary desk and being the evil Mr. McMahon because what? how? Well, 
at that time, we were, the, the WWE were sending some talent down to Memphis. I was still, we still ran Memphis. And I was basically coming up and working on uh, Monday nights and still going back and wrestling down in Memphis in, in our territory the rest of the week. And so Vince started sending us some, started sending some talent down there. I mean, they were using Memphis as sort of a, what NXT would be now, as a developmental territory. Kurt Angle came down and had his very first match ever on Memphis TV. Wow. We're sending Dwayne down there, too. Dwayne, you sent Dwayne uh, Johnson. The Rock was working. I mean, they, they called us up one day. We had to throw together a loser-leave-town match on Saturday morning TV because Vince, we, we had the championship on, on The Rock, or, we, you know, we were calling him uh, Flex Cavana. Flex Cavana down Cavana. there. Oh, yeah, we, we had to throw Flex. together a, a loser-leave-town match between me and The Rock because Vince called up and said, I got to have The Rock at, at Monday night uh, you know, for, for for raw with like so, two days' notice. Yeah. yeah. Well, so he sent he sent uh, Brett the Hitman Hart down to work with me in Memphis, and uh, and then somehow I don't know why I don't know how or why I can't remember exactly why it happened, but Vince came down to be in Brett's corner. He even, and he brought Pat Patterson with him. Pat Patterson was there to be like Vince's bodyguard, and then and then somewhere. And, and what was so great was because, like he said, Bret Hart, all around the rest of the country, all around the rest of the world, I mean, he was a big baby face. Everybody loved him. And, and I was the big bad guy up in the WWE. But down in Memphis, I'd been the, the baby face for years and years. You're the so king, when, man. When Bret came down to Memphis, Going everybody, over every everybody hated him. So when Vince came in to be in Brett's corner, everybody hated Vince. And I remember I'm run, running around the ring going after Bret Hart down there, and Vince stuck his foot out, tripped me. I came over, and I had to punch, punch Pat Patterson to get to Vince. And that was the very first time that Vince ever really interjected himself into the, into the storylines. And, and from there, it went, he started doing it in WWE. Wow. So, so it's your fault. It's my fault. You're right. So, Jerry, you said something very interesting to me. So, Vince was not in your ear or, or your ear, Jerry? Because as, as a commentator now, we hear that quite a bit, that Vince is always talking. And I, when I do guest commentary, Chris, talk, talk about the body slam or whatever. And you're trying to talk and you're watching and then you'll be like, and then this guy comes over and this guy, talk about the monkey flip. And you're like, dude, shut up. <laughs> did you guys have to deal with that a lot? You no. think that, but you can't say that, right? No, of course we did. Here's the thing. Here's how that worked. When he's when he's Mr. McMahon and his the the height of his being a villain in the Attitude Era, we heard from nobody but Kevin Dunn. It was glorious. Bobby Roode, thank you. Glorious. And then uh, and then over the years, uh, as the, the Mr. McMahon character took different shades, we were uh, produced heavier. Knowing that my partner was not going to take as much bullshit as I will, I got all of his wrath. And guess who got none of his wrath? But see, that, that, that's, that doesn't surprise me because King is a performer. He's a wrestler. And in Vince's mind, he can't give this... Yeah, you know, you're not a performer, quote no, unquote. I'm not. You're Jim Ross. You're an announcer, so he's not going to yell at, at Jerry Lawler, the wrestler. I'm just talking the way that Vince thinks, and you feel that's the reason why you took more of the wrath. Yeah, JRs are easy to replace, even though they're still trying 20 years later. <laughs> yeah! There you 
go. True story. <laughs> My granddad would say, uh, I think he, or Monsoon's favorite say to me was, don't break your arm, Oki, patting yourself on the back. <laughs> I just patted myself on the back and I apologize for future reference. Oki? <laughs> yeah, Oki. What a great, I, see, that's the great thing about the business. You have these wonderful, now guys, after, after wrestling, they, they, uh, they don't ride in cars together like they used to as much. Uh, they don't spend the same amount of time conversing with their peers. They don't spend the same amount of time uh, talking about things. They're, they're, on a vid- they're playing video games. And here's what they'll say, well, JR's an old guy, look at him, he's an old bastard. He don't believe video games. I made hundreds of thousands of dollars off video games. <laughs> I love video games. That's <laughs> true. He's the voice of all the video games. But the bottom line of it is, is that to, to really get good in this craft, you got to interact with your guys. And that's a car trip or whatever it may be. And now, man, it's a, it's a different world. Everybody's got different priorities. And I think that's why we're seeing some of the, the trends in the business change a little bit. We have too many with a millennial mindset of taking shortcuts. And you can't take a shortcut in wrestling. Well, I'll do these three great things, but I won't sell shit. <laughs> you just took me out of it, man. You showed me where the, 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 the thing was up your sleeve. It just didn't work. Your, your gimmick didn't work, man. So I, that's kind of where I see that going. And so let, let yeah, well, I just want to add a little bit to about what we started talking about, about the wrath of uh, Vince McMahon <laughs> yeah. oh, you know, through your headset. And I can honestly say, and, and J.R. Well, you already said it, but for 25 years there almost every Monday night or every Tuesday night, yeah, <laughs> I swear some nights... Some tights, Jr. would say, "Is he all over your ass tonight?" Like during the commercial break, right? And I said, "I haven't heard a word from him." And, <laughs> Boy, that was uplifting too. That made me feel so good about myself. <laughs> but you know what? I heard nothing. But you, you know, know the, me? The, the funny I'm the king. thing was, the, the funny thing was, he really, he really did. Uh, there you go. That's Jack Slade. He just brought us a drink. <laughs> Jr. needs one too. What are you drinking, Jr.? Moscow Mules. Vodka. Vodka, ginger beer, a little bit of lime juice, and some ice. Good Lord, did you get that, Jack? Get him whatever he just said. Yeah, whatever that was. <laughs> so, 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 so Vince would not... So, no, I, I, I can honestly say in like 25 years, he never once ever yelled at me. Not one time. Not even one time. Wow. Okay, but got, uh, you know what? Uh, JR took it... I don't think he. I don't think he ever yelled at you as much as he did some of the other announcers. I, I swear to you, poor Michael Cole when he first started there. Well, he I guess he, here's the deal. When I followed, when I when I followed the TBS, I, and I love Tony Schiavone, he's one of my best friends to this very day. But but he followed Gordon. I didn't. So I got to slide in there. I followed David Crockett. You get it? You with me? You feel me? <laughs> so it's a matter of the, the, that whole progress. I was a popular guy at that time, and King and I were a great team. And all of a sudden, Jr. gets taken out with Bell's palsy and facial paralysis. Blah blah blah. Poor him, and he ain't around right now. And so Cole follows me. He's got people. All of a sudden, he's already a heel. And the creative that we did that night to make him a babyface. We all said, this is going to make him a heel. Oh, no, it's going to make him a heel. It's a new psychology. It's new psychology. So you don't get new psychology. I don't get new psychology, do I? 
I really don't. You're right. I don't get a damn thing about it. I remember, though, one of the first nights that, that Michael Cole was there when he got his, his uh, initiation under fire. I mean, we're live. You know, you're on live TV, and there's nobody but me sitting here and Michael Cole sitting right there. And, of course, Vince in your, you know, in your headset. And you got you to gotta realize, you, knew, you know this, Chris and Jr. If it, you know, if it didn't happen in the WWE, it didn't ever happen. Exactly. And a lot of things that happened a long time ago in the WWE weren't supposed, didn't happen either. Right, revisionist history. So, so what happened when I, they had, I don't, I don't even know, let's just say it was, it was like Stone Cold getting ready to wrestle The Rock, something like that. And so, but they were pretending like it had never happened before, right? It was, this is the first time ever. First time ever, right. Because I know all you marks are buying it first time ever, every time. Because you're all gullible bastards. Each and every one of you. All of you. Gullible. So so we're sitting there and we're doing doing the show. And Michael Cole somehow, now this, once again, we're live. And I'm just sitting there looking at him. And Michael says, oh, I'll tell you what, man. King, you know, these two guys back in the day, I mean, these two guys had a long history against each other. And all of a sudden, and we, you know, we're live. All of a sudden, Vince McMahon comes on in both of our ears, and I can hear him say, Michael, you stupid son of a bitch! Why in the f would you ever say something like that? Like he wants to engage you in a conversation yeah, right. while you're on the air. Right. Now, Michael Cole. Uh, hold on, folks. I got Vince on the other line. Yeah. Hey, Vince, f off. Hey, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so Cole's eyes get like this. And he just shuts up, right? And uh, so I just I have to jump in there and start saying something. But that's how that's how Vince could be at certain times. Sure. You know, Mick Foley, Mick's on the Mick's on the cruise, he right? Yes. Mick Mick came and <laughs> they had Mick start and do color commentary for a little while. He worked with me. I killed his work, career. Work with you. <laughs> and and Mick said he said, man, I, I can't do this. He said, my own daddy never talked to me like that. He said, <laughs> I can't take this this verbal abuse every week. So he could be rough with some people. It's very taxing, and you got to be really focused on what you're doing. Uh, you know, Taz didn't didn't like that environment. One night, one night, in this truth, one night I think he told Taz and whoever he was working with, take your headsets off and put your microphones down and come back here to the back. During the show. During wow. the show. Live. They were like on the live show and Vince got so mad at me, he said, take your freaking headsets off and come back here. Wow. There was no commentary. I never there. got that, that one. <laughs> Just don't even talk. No. Don't, don't, don't even talk. So tell us a little bit about like uh, when you guys were, 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 were uh, commentating Raw. Before the show, Sometimes I would want to talk to Vince, but he's having a meeting with you guys. What would that meeting entail? We, we had one meeting, Jerry and I. Had one, oh. We had one meeting. Only one? Yeah. Oh, because now there's a meeting every night before I the know. show. We don't do that. Now, why was there only one? Only don't play that. Well, the deal is, is that just we want the last version of the last rewrite of the last hour going into the live at the top of the hour version. And the reason why it says is they rewrite the show constantly throughout the day. Throughout the show sometimes. I've gone out there, we've gone out there and got one sheet of format, one segment. There's there's 11 segments at that time. (laughs) Or the other 10 segments. You'll get them. You'll get them. 
But don't worry about J.R. and the king. We got this son of a bitch, man. We got you. We got you. But that's the thing. They, they rewrite stuff. But I want to tell you one story about this uh, business producing. We have all these meetings. This leads right, leads right into it. All these meetings. Jerry was having to come to the meeting that we had at 10 o'clock in the morning. And he weaseled his way out of that, which gave me weasel room to follow suit. Because we said, by the time we go in the air at nine o'clock at night, we've been there, you know, seemingly two days. So Jerry got out of the meeting, I got out of the meeting, so now we only have one meeting, that's with Vince, right before we go out. Maybe 20 minutes, right? 15, 20 minutes, nothing. He gave us the high points. Segment one, segment six, seven, uh, 11. The start, the crossover, and the go home. Simple. This ain't math here, kids. This ain't calculus. This is easy shit. This is wrestling. Don't overthink it. And, and we would go over that, and he would, he would uh, turn us loose. And because he had that last word, it oftentimes gave us a reprieve, Chris, a reprieve that we're not going to get yelled at all night, just some of the night. I'm sitting there one night, and he says uh, to me, he's on the air, <clears throat> on my headset, He's not talking to Jerry, just me again. And he says, uh, something. Say it. Say it, goddammit. <laughs> and I says, That's uh, good. So I, I ignored him. And the segment's coming down to a close. God damn it, I said, Say it, goddammit. <laughs> say it. I like it. Three, two, one. We're going to commercial break. So now, you know, I know I'm getting it right now, right? JR. Yes, sir. It's only me and you now. So I'm thinking, what the fuck are we? Doc Holliday on the goddamn. Deadwood? We're going to draw down here in the, in the park fair or the throwaway or whatever it's called? Jesus. Yes, sir. Did you hear me tell you to say it? <laughs> yes, sir, I did. Well, I'm goddamn sure glad you didn't say it because it had been wrong. <laughs> you should have known better. <laughs> you never know. So I didn't say it, and I held my ground, and... I got off, I, I dodged a bullet, as they say in abyss. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's what Pat Patterson always says. Some days he likes chocolate, some days he likes vanilla, but it's his ice cream shop. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. There you go, Jack. That's so low cut. King, what are you drinking? Iced tea? This is a... Uh... Metamucil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> hold the geritol. This is uh, it was a peach, um, like a margarita, virgin okay. margarita. Sure, right. temple. If you if made you would about, like another one, two Jack hours will ago. get I'm, you I'm one fine. as well. I'm good. I'm uh, let me ask you guys a question. You're talking about being such a great team, having great chemistry, uh, play by play color. What is the the not the secret, but what was your recipe to? Uh, being a play-by-play -play announcer and being a color commentator. What, what did you guys do? Mine was really simple. I understood my role. And this is not because he's sitting here, you know, he's a, he was a better of the two. He's a better performer than me. And I knew that my job would be to set things up and to be the point guard and get him the ball. 
I had no ego issues in that regard, even though some of my other broadcast partners and former employers may say that, I had to have ego issues. I didn't. He was, he, I knew my role, I figured it out, I got him the ball and he scored. And we kept scoring and scoring and scoring and all of a sudden we became a part of pop culture. And I knew my role and I didn't have any problems fulfilling what I did for our team to make what we did sound good. But Jim, you were always very good too as a, as a play-by-play guy. Of, you brought a real sports element to your commentating. And wrestling, as we know, I do never use the F word, the, the fake word. It's obviously a, a show. But you always approached it like an actual, like a football game, for example, which I know you love, or a hockey game. I wanted to smoothly perpetuate the illusion of what many of the fans were seeing. And if I snap you out of reality, well, he missed that high spot. I guess he's not going over tonight. That's kind of like watching a stunt double in a porn flick. That's my next career, by the way. I'm gonna do porn, porn voiceovers. For the love of God! How about that? How about that? Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, uh. one, one of the things... <laughs> there you go. I think, I think there's, there's one word that, that I've heard and that I've, I've described, uh, used to describe JR. Well, first of all, I think the first order of business for JR and myself, we were both fans of the business. We were both fans of wrestling from way back. But JR brought a passion to the, to the announce table that I don't think anybody has ever duplicated. I don't think they ever had it before him, and I don't think there's been a, that kind of passion since then. And, and, uh, and the great thing about JR, you talk about, you talk about uh, how we prepared for anything. What was so great for me was, and this is the honest to God's truth, I never prepared for anything because JR was always, he was so prepared that I didn't have to do anything. All I, I would, I would always, before the show, I would take a look at maybe who's going to be on the show or I already knew. And I would write down like a page of maybe 15 or 20 one-liners on a sheet of paper that I may use or may not use, but that's my only preparation. JR knows during, during, the, uh, during the broadcast, and I think you probably saved some of them, we, had, we would have a run sheet that would tell you what order of everything that was gonna happen on the show. Um, I used mine as a doodle sheet. I would draw awesome. pictures <laughs> every, every week. He's that's a great I'm, artist yeah, too, by the way. Nudes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's 20 years ago, for God's sakes. <laughs> It was great. Puppies chant. There you go. The if I'd only kept all those doodles now, <laughs> you know that I you could have sold them. I'd have sent me a gimmick table up on this cruise and sold them to you guys. <laughs> you know that you coined that phrase too, King. The puppies. That's still like in the in the, in pop culture. It, 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 it nomenclature is. now. And you know it's funny. I mean, I really, I always try to give credit where credit is due. I was not the first person to say the word or use that phrase on WWE TV. It was, I think it was when DX was out there and it was Road Dog. Road Dog said to, I don't know if it was Sable or somebody, one of the divas, said, show us your puppies. And that, was it Deborah? Okay, well, that's, that's the first time that I heard the Deborah phrase. Deborah have puppies? 
<laughs> you know what's funny? Those but I ran with it. Let me, let, me just, let me just tell you this. This is a funny story that just happened to me last week before last at the New York Comic Con. Because everybody remembers certain things that really affected them. You know, there's things that, I, I, that they have heard me or JR say over the years. It really meant something to them. I had this one guy come up to me. And he was just standing there. He said, man, it is such an honor to meet you. He said, I can't tell you how great it was when I used to sit in front of the TV and hear you, when all the beautiful divas come out and hear you say, titties, titties. (laughs) And I I went, what? (laughs) I said, I never said titties on TV. (laughs) And I said, I said puppies. He went, Oh, yeah, puppies. I'm sorry. <laughs> so everybody remembers stuff differently, right? You know, it's funny, those Armstrongs, because uh, uh, Brad Armstrong always used to say, if you pick up what I'm throwing down, if you smell what I'm cooking. And Brian started saying it, and Rock heard Brian say it, and that's where do you smell what the Rock is cooking came from. Brad Armstrong. There you puppies go. came from uh, Brian Armstrong. Yes, it is. These freaking Armstrongs, man. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Let me, uh, uh, you talk about your one-liners, Jerry, and you always had, like you said, you, you wrote some down. You always had, now you can go on an app and, and find them. At the time, how did you get all your one-liners? Just mostly like joke books and different things you like that. You would buy joke try, books? Yeah, I, I mean, I was, I was always a big fan. Uh, yeah, I would definitely buy. Uh, I, I swear I told this story a long time ago, too. This was, uh, and Jim Cornette has used the same jokes that I've used over for a hundred years. Uh, but anyway, yeah, when I first started, I don't know even know why I was in a, in a bookstore and I saw this little, little book, little paperback book. It was a set of thousand and one insults by Louis Safian. Louis right, Safian. Louis Shout Safian. out to Louis Safian. Shout money. out to Louis. But, and, and uh, I bought that book and there was, I mean, I, I, Made a career out of Lewis Safian's 1001 insults. There you go, kids. You want to start like Jerry Lawler? Do you, By do you, my endorse, Lewis <laughs> Safian, whatever his name was. That'll be on the market on Monday or Tuesday of about a week from now. Right. Do you, do you have uh, one or two one-liners that, you, that you are your favorites that you used over the years? You always some good ones about Stu and Helen Hart. You used to oh my bag on them all the time. Like old people jokes. Stu and Helen Hart and Moolah and Mae Young. They were right. That was the best <laughs> the old people jokes. I once said I once said about Stu and Helen Hart. I said they produce more tragedies than Shakespeare. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait. Hold on. Nothing to see here. Move on. You know, and, and that was one of the things I always worried over the years. I always worried that, that they were upset, that they would get upset, well, and, and that Brett was uh, upset. Stretch his ass in the uh, dungeon <laughs> <at> sometime. <laughs> that Jerry Lawler, the uh, phony uh, Memphis uh, kind of a... Uh, Where else uh, are you going to hear Jim Ross imitate Stu Hart? Right. Only on the Jericho Cruise. It's a Canadian Canuck thing, young man. <laughs> So you always worried that he would be upset? Well, I was, I was, especially a couple of the times when he put the sharpshooter on me. I got to thinking he must be upset about what I said about his parents because he's trying to break my break me in half, right? But uh, he he told me, and um, the last time we were in a ring together at, uh, up in Canada, they brought bread out for uh, acknowledgement or something. Anyway, uh, he told me at that time. He said, "Man, I, I meant to tell you this." He said, "But my parents loved." The fact that you brought them, it, it, because it, you know, it, it gave them uh, 
notoriety. It would make them a part, part, of, part, the, of, the part of the show. Yeah, yeah. and uh, recognition. Yeah, he said That's my mother especially loved it. Yeah. Be a part of the show. Yeah. So I was kind of let me thing. ask you guys a question. And this is something that just popped in my head when we were talking about about the hearts. You guys had maybe one of the hardest jobs ever the night that Owen passed away. Um, like, what a, you guys had to basically tell the world what was going on that night. Were you told anything? What, what, like, Well, I can tell you, uh, Jerry really had it spotted quicker than I did. I didn't leave my post. Uh, you know, I'm, we're 20 feet from where it occurred. I didn't leave my post because of the communication and where are we going next? What's going to, or is the show going to go on or what's, what's the deal? Did you know right away that he had passed away at that point? Well, here's what happened when, I mean, like JR and I, our monitors are down, you know, in the, in the, yeah. in the, uh, and he wanted to check it out. Well, I, I mean, and JR, what, what was happening when, when Owen actually fell, they were showing on the Titantron and on our monitors, they were showing an actual interview of the Blue Blazer that he was making right before right, he was right, going right. to come. Fl- come uh, into the ring and JR was looking down and I for some reason I don't know why I just wasn't looking down I think I may have been looking up at the uh, Titantron but I actually saw him come like into my field of vision boom right and land right in the ring in front of us and I just I just looked and I I punched JR because we you know our mics were live and he looked at me and I didn't want to say it but I said I just mouthed it I said "He, he fell I said, Owen just fell, and he was going, "What?" And so I and uh, the uh, our, the Mark Eaton was right there beside yeah, yeah. me. I just I took my headsets off and I ran over to Mark and I said, hey, "Owen just fell," and I ran up to the ring, and uh, and then Mark Eaton came up to the ring, and um, yeah, I, I mean you could I could tell you know that they they immediately the uh, paramedics got in and they took his mask off, mm-hmm. and I could literally see the blood draining out of his I mean he's laying on his back and his face just went you know from flesh color to gray just just right then so when Jerry got back he just shook his head it's not good this this is horrible the worst thing that could happen has happened that's what I translated out of his look that's what Chris talks about our chemistry we don't have well, chemistry is a different thing. Is you don't you don't develop chemistry in Orlando, so you'll know. <laughs> it's a life journey, and you hope that your your paths come together. But it ain't it don't all start and end in Orlando, for the record, in my opinion. Just saying. So uh, now we are on the air. I don't remember all that happened, the whole nine yards. All I know is this. We're coming back to do it on camera. And Kevin Dunn in her truck says, JR, you're, you're, we're, we're coming back to you and the king at ringside, meaning we're on camera, and uh, we need you to give the update on Owen. I hit the talk back button that only he and I can hear. I said, I don't have an update. He hits his talk back button to me and says, Owen's dead. You're back in 10, 9, 8, and count me right in. I have no idea what I said that day. I, I wrote about it in my book, Slobberknocker, uh, which is in, it's in that, but I never watched it again until I wrote the book. I couldn't stand to live through that again. 
of all the people in the wrestling business I've known in 40 plus years, Owen is the number one to the list of somebody that nobody ever knocks. True story. Now, I th and the WWE... WWE later on took a lot of heat on the fact that a lot of people said, oh, you should have canceled the pay-per-view, should have been stopped right at that point, and that sort of thing. But the truth of the matter was, everybody knew he fell, but nobody at that time, even the paramedics, I mean, they took Owen back and they put him in an ambulance and they took him out. I, I think I may have been, or maybe some of the paramedics may have been the only person that felt sure that Owen was gone. I mean, they took him to the hospital and tried to work on him and everything like that. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, um, it wasn't that everybody knew that he was gone right then. You know, a lot of people were hoping that they'd be able to save him. That, and that is basically why the show went on. You know, it wasn't until almost, uh, it was over an hour later that we actually got the actual word that he, that, that JR had to and make that And this is something that I think a lot of you guys might not understand. Like what, what Jim just said about Owen's gone, 10, 9, 8. This happens to us a lot of times when stuff will happen, but the show continues. And in 10 seconds, we're live. So you better just shake it off, guys. And if someone gets hurt or if a, a segment gets changed, someone passes away, which is the worst element of it. But these guys were the ones that were able to keep the ball rolling and keep the show going because they're total pros. A lot of people wouldn't have been able to do that. Let me ask you about, about when was the first time you guys met each other? Do you remember? Yeah. That's a Mid-South thing, right? I think so. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jerry and uh, Jerry Jarrett came to Shreveport to watch Mid-South produce TV at the Irish Renew Boys Club. And somebody here gave me a T-shirt tonight. Thank you very much for that. Appreciate it. Uh, Irish Renew Boys Club boxing shirt. But... They came to our TV because a talent trade was afloat. <clears throat> Much like what Chris has done on this cruise where he's brought promotions together to some degree. And here's the irony of that deal. You guys would love this. I'm not gonna go into any detail. It's funny that some people, no matter how hard you try to do the right thing and to get promotions working with each other because individually they're dying and they can't get along. It's embarrassing. And it's selfish. And somebody along the way is gonna create another company someday that's gonna not let you worry about all that bullshit. I heard. So you're at the boys club, Shreveport. Yeah, Shreveport, the boys club, and Jerry, Jerry and Jared come in to do some scouting, make a talent trade. Out of that talent trade, I think you guys got Rick Rude, I believe. Jim, the Anvil Neidhart, two Hall of Fame guys. I don't remember who all else. And Cowboy got the Rock and Roll Express. He made the Midnight Express with Cornette and, and Dennis and, and Bobby. And we got somebody else in that deal. I think Bill Dundee, Coco Beware, a bunch of... Yeah, that's a good trade. Yeah, it's good a good trade. trade. It's like, so, like a hockey team. So in that, somewhere, along the, somewhere in the world, the tape is available for J.R. and the King's first match together ever, and it was at the Irish Mill Boys Club in Shreveport in the 80s. <laughs> How about that? So let me ask you a question. When you guys are out there like a stadium show, for example, WrestleMania, it's a long show, four hours. Now it's eight hours. 
Did you guys ever have to go to the bathroom at all? And what do you do if you have to go? Well, I, uh, I called my friends in NASCAR and said, how do you guys keep from pissing yourself? <laughs> Sans the catheter. I ain't gonna go, hey, I love you fans, I'll do anything in the world for you, but I ain't gonna go, no goddamn catheter for you or anybody else. It's no going catheter. too far. I live in a no catheter zone. So in, in some days, when we knew it was going to be a really long show, I would back up my uh, undergarments with uh, what they give old men that piss themselves. Depends? Depends. Seriously? Oh, yeah. Wow. But what you always do, and you should notice this, next time you watch wrestling, you're going to say, that damn JR put that thought in my head and I can't get out. Watch all those announcers wear dark suits. There's a reason they wear dark suits. So, Yeah. And you gotta, you gotta, re, you gotta start restricting your liquid intake around three o'clock in the afternoon, or much like right now, you gotta piss really bad. <laughs> I was, you know, you ten that, minutes left. That was one of the other good things that came from me not ever drinking. Yeah. I, I've, I've, in all of those years, I can never remember having to. Uh, be under great pressure to go relieve myself. Not one time. Show. Not even one time, no. You're a genetic I'm blessed, I'm blessed with a with a heavy-duty bladder somehow, yeah. <laughs> um, so his, when his bladder's like a saddlebag <laughs> in Wells Fargo or something along those lines. They throw those horses. I think it's the king's bladder's kind of that way. Saddlebag. How, how was it for you, for both you guys, there was a time, Jim, when you, when, when Jerry left and you are there. There was a time when Jim leaves or there fired leaves, whatever it was. Was was it hard for you to continue without the other? Well, we're businessmen. Right. And we're old school guys, we're territory guys. We when we're booked, we appear. It's like here. I had cancer surgery Thursday. Wow. Really? Yeah. And I'm here. You okay? Yeah. Thank you. He's been through a lot of shit this year, man. He still showed up. I did that because uh, I made a commitment to Chris. And I made a, another commitment to Chris years ago when I signed him. True story. Jim Ross and Jerry Briscoe, we met at the Bombay Bicycle Club. Bombay Bicycle Club. In Clearwater, Florida. I put the, put the heavy, I put the screws, you know, we got to go here. <laughs> and, and, the, and it was, unfortunately, sometimes you get stuck over downside guarantees when you tell a kid, you're going to make a lot more money than that, I promise you. But, uh, but can, why don't you just guarantee it? Because that's not the way we do business. Right. Uh, and it worked out. I don't. Did you ever hear that you didn't exceed your downside guarantee? No, maybe double. So. At that point, I would have come to WD for a bag of used hockey pucks. I didn't give a <laughs> shit. I just wanted to come work for you. But my, my guy. So I, I made a commitment to be here, and I'm here. And that's. And I want. But see, look. All through the year, last couple of years since my wife died. And I had to finish the book with Paul O'Brien. Uh, it's been a very emotional year for me. I've cried more, man, and thought about my life and what's, have I done good? Have I left anything? Did I ignore my children? You know, this whole wrestling thing became everything to me. It's everything. And I want to tell you guys, you're here and I appreciate it. And I know Chris does. I appreciate it because he's paying me a lot of money to be here. And I appreciate it. Wait a so minute, wait money. a minute, wait a minute. You're getting paid? It's <laughs> day on the piss aid, J-S-I-A-R. Oh, sorry, sorry. Never mind. Scratch that from the uh, tweet. Edit that out. Edit, edit. But point being, you make, 
Our world is about commitments and keeping them. Think about that. I made a commitment to be here and I'm here because you guys are here too. Why not? So I'm good. So what you're saying is when the king left, oh, the king, you have to continue. Well, when the king left, I, I was very lucky because as polar opposite as a human being as he is to Jerry, I got Paul Heyman back. Wow, yeah. yeah. I had, when, I, when I brought Paul Heyman to my, be my partner in WCW, the booking committee composed of most ex-wrestlers who despised him because largely he was smarter than they. They said, you're gonna kill your career by teaming with Heyman. And I thought they should give me a parade or some sort of goddamn award for taking him off their hands. He had 10 more booking ideas than I ever had. And he was the smartest guy in the room and you guys didn't get it. So you're insecure. There is insecurity in wrestling. Believe it or not. But that was Paul. Yeah. So how about for you, King, when, when you were working without JR? You know, it's, it's like I said, it, it, JR made it so freaking easy for me. But I, I think when I, when I really look back on it, I never, you know, I, like I said before, I never started out or, or claimed to be a, a commentator. Mm -hmm. Didn't want to be. I mean, it, it, even when Vince first asked me, I thought, oh, no, this is off. I'm not going to do my match tonight. I'm going to have to sit down there and do commentary. Uh, and I, uh, I can honestly say it was never, never something that I ever really enjoyed doing. You know, I, I, I would do the stuff. And it, I, if you remember, for years, I would come dressed as, you know, wearing my wrestling gear down to the ring doing That's the commentary. True. Because Hoping. I, I'm the whole spot. I'm trying to run in. Yeah, anything. Do something. <laughs> I'm really booked. I'll One more run. Exactly. So um, uh, I'll never forget. I, I don't know if it was the first time. I, don't, I can't remember. They separated us a lot. I mean, when JR got sick with Bell's palsy, the, that, was, that was one thing. Then the, but the most, I guess the, the toughest night I can remember was Vince McMahon, as you know, Chris, he, he, has, a, he has a very weird sense of humor. And he... He finds, you know, he finds humor in things that, that I, I think that just please nobody but himself and can really piss other people off in, in strange ways. You know, you, you know, one of the things probably a lot of people know, if you're in the WWE and you're wrestling in your hometown, nothing good is ever going to happen. Because Vince did, I don't know, he just, he's just got that little weird just sense of humor. warped humor. Warped humor, right. I mean, how many times, JR, did you, you know, you would be in Oklahoma City and they'd be doing something that would embarrass, you know, he would always try to embarrass you yeah. in your hometown. He had to kiss Vince's ass in Oklahoma City, yeah. I think. Yeah. I, got I, I had a, a musical chairs match in Winnipeg, Manitoba that you were in. Oh my gosh, that's right. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, we're coming to Winnipeg. Do I get a world title shot? Is it going to be? No, no, no. You have a musical chairs <laughs> match. Right. Strategic what? booking. See, you don't understand. None of you like it because you don't understand. Think about that one. But, but the, the first time, the, the time that I can really remember uh, uh, and thinking about us being really separated was the first time they had the draft. Yeah, I remember that. Remember uh, the first draft? I got to lie to on that one, man. Yeah. And it was a big thing that JR is on SmackDown now. Yeah, all of a sudden, without, without, without telling JR, without giving him any notice. Now, here's the guy who's your top play-by-play -play guy in your company for years and years and years. And all of a sudden, the draft happens, and we're live on TV, 
and boom, up pops JR, JR's picture on the big Titan Tron that says, you've been drafted to SmackDown. Woohoo! <laughs> and, Woo and guess even better, you're gonna be Todd Grisham's sidekick. Yeah. <laughs> you're, gonna be your, you're gonna be his uh, Barney to his Andy. <laughs> that's what? A, that's a dated reference. <laughs> yeah, the 50s called, they want their reference back. All right, whatever. But anyway. <laughs> Yoko, to, no, that's not good either. <laughs> this is 80s night, though. <laughs> it is. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that, it, it was tough. Um, but one thing, in, in my case, like with, with Michael and, and the different people that they put me with after JR, I, I, was, I always really looked up to JR because, I mean, I, was, I always felt like, I'm just, I'm just the, I'm the sidekick, I and was he's the real commentator. Oh, shut up. No, I'm serious. I'm, but oh, when, when, oh, he got when? mad. He's mad now. Jerry was my Sergeant Hulka. <laughs> he was the big toe. That's a good one, Sergeant Hulka. Stripes. Stripes. There you go. That's but when, but when Jr. Let, when they separated us, it was like the shoe was on the other foot. Michael Cole was kind of intimidated by me and and the, the other Say guys it. because they hadn't, you know, it was a like. Uh, you know, they just hadn't been around and wasn't as experienced. So it was, um, that part wasn't tough, but it was tough in the fact that, I mean, JR's- separation anxiety. JR's knowledge of the business. This guy knows Willie Nelson's middle name. This guy can tell you where Hidden Valley Ranch is. He knows everything about everything, you're right? <laughs> For those who know. Yeah, right. And I, I just, uh, you know, so I really didn't have to I didn't have to worry about but anything. Like, With the other guys, I did. And, and as we wind down here, the thing that I get from you guys that have known this for years, you genuinely are friends. You guys are, are good, good friends, right? We like each other. Yeah, you like each Believe other. Believe it or not. You like working together. I put you like him over all the time. You know, I, I've done more jobs for his ass than anybody in the world. More than Bill Dundee. <laughs> wow, that's impossible. That's a lot of, well, <laughs> just saying. So, um, last couple questions. For you guys, you've seen so many great matches and so many great moments. What are some of the highlights for you guys as, uh, from your broadcasting career together? Well, I'm not going to tell you it's the greatest match we ever called because I don't know if that's possible to ascertain. I can tell you for me, the most memorable match we ever called was Foley and Undertaker at the Hell in a Cell. I'm standing, I'm standing in Dallas the other day, getting ready to board the priority lane because I'm a executive Platinum American Flyer. If anybody fat ass gets out of the house a lot, and I go to do things. <laughs> so I'm standing in line to board, and this guy's behind me with his son, about 12 years old. The dad says to me, the dad's right behind me, he says, thanks, Chris. He's, he says, uh, for the love of God, stop the match. <laughs> now this dude is in my face. We could, be, we could be filming a scene from a prison movie. We're that close. <laughs> you follow me? <laughs> what do he say? For the love of God, stop yeah, the match. And he says, uh, My God, he's broken in half. Some bullshit, right? Uh, no, 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 no bullshit. The line, the famous line. My God, he's broken in half. My God, he's broken in half. My God, he's broken in half. So anyway, I, the guy is not, I feel his, I feel his heat on my hair on my neck. Oh, shit. So I'm going to turn around now and insert my 
wonderful, warm personality. And I, I'm getting ready to say, what the f-? And the kid says, I'm sorry, JR. He does this all the time, and my mom hates it. <laughs> that match will never go away. Yeah. It's the most memorable match that I think we call. And you guys can hear Mick Foley tell the whole story, I believe, on Tuesday, or maybe tomorrow, 20 Years of Hell on the cruise. Jerry, what's some of your, your highlight? Well, of course, that match was awesome. I, I, I think the match that I in, maybe enjoyed calling the most, and I'll, you guys will tell me what WrestleMania it was, but it was... 18. A, you already know, don't you? Yeah, okay. WrestleMania 18, a match you never thought you'd ever see. It was like seeing Mike Tyson go against Muhammad Ali, but it was when they brought back Hulk Hogan to go against The Rock. We had to call an audible that night. We had to call an audible, and it was it was the most fun. I mean, and the crowd response was amazing. That was in Toronto, wasn't it? Yeah, first yeah. off, yeah. I remember that match. You know why? Yeah, was you, I had to you follow, follow it. it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. And I did not want to follow it, by the way. I begged to go on before that match, but somebody wouldn't allow it. Uh, <laughs> why did you have to call an audible? Well, because the... The people didn't cheer for who the, the writers and Vince thought they were going to cheer for. What, what did Vince think? Vince expected the people he to cheer for Rock and Blue Hogan. Gonna, they, they when we he, got on that match, man, he laid completely out. He was shocked. They're, they're cheering the Eagles. The, 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 re, the reuniting of the Eagles in, in, in essence of Hogan. <laughs> the, the rock star, the old 70s, the 80s. So he was thinking they were going to Boo Hulk and Sheer Rock. Oh, absolutely. Oh, was, everybody it was did. Vice versa. The writers did. All the creative team, in my view, did the same thing. They thought it was going to be all. But all of us knew that was not going to happen exactly. because it was Hulk Hogan's return. Right. right. Wow. And it worked out beautiful. Hey, we just changed tunes. We just, you guys again, you play your music, right? Yeah. And we added some lyrics, and it worked out okay. And Hulk was the Hulk from the start of the match to the end of the match. He never changed. But, I mean, I really took my hat off to The Rock. Rocky got it. Man, he he really... Real he, pro. He right and around. let me Real just pro. say this: Rock is one of the biggest stars in Hollywood, but but and, and he's he's done so much great stuff. But going back to this time frame, The Rock was a great worker. Oh yeah, The Rock was one of the best workers that I've ever been in the ring with. He got it. He understood what was up. Absolutely. He had no problems changing heel. I don't. When he the heard deal, That's because he that. worked with me down in Memphis before yeah. he came to the <laughs> Flex Cavana. Well, but even before that, I don't know who signed you, and I don't know who signed Rock, but. That was a smart bastard. Whoever signed me in the rock is a smart mofo. <laughs> smart mofo, baby. Last question. Who is your favorite wrestler from that era, uh, from when you guys were commentating on Raw? Stone Cold. I knew you were going to say that. That's a great answer. King, is there one that stands out for you, or a few? Yeah, that, well, that usually when people... When I ask people who their favorite wrestler is, I say, um, uh, or when somebody asks me who my favorite wrestler is, I say, I'm not even going to answer. I don't even know what I'm Jackie saying Fargo. right now. Jackie Fargo. No, Jackie Fargo, but no. But from that era, though. Okay, from that era. <laughs> it would, I mean, it would have to be a toss-up between uh, Stone Cold and The Rock. Yeah, yeah Stone, I mean, both those guys. can't go just, wrong with that. Guys... The greatest commentating duo of the modern era right here. 
Thank you so much, guys. And a stand up. All right, we had a great time on the cruise. Everybody involved, but thanks to Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler for these amazing stories and laughs. Uh, speaking of amazing stories and laughs, we have more coming as the second annual Chris Jericho Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. Uh, big news coming, maybe even next week. All right, uh, in the meantime and in between time, check out the Jim Ross Report podcast, also on Westwood One. We've got new episodes every Wednesday. Subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts. Also, Jerry Lawler, go check out Dinner with the King, which is his podcast. Everyone's got podcasts, but I know you love this one. Uh, number one in the program, number one in your hearts, all right? And keeping it up with Hall of Famers Wednesday, Dory Funk Jr. is going to be here. 50-year anniversary of him winning the NWA Championship. We did a live talk as Jericho at his Bang uh, uh, studio uh, outside Ocala, Florida. Great time in front of a great studio audience. So Dory Funk will be here on Wednesday. In the meantime and in between time, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big, yeah, boy, it's a real slobber knocker. Oh, yeah.